Nora Speaks is a weekly podcast that tugs at the soul and consciousness of the Black community. With show topics such as youth empowerment, education, women's impact, and civic engagement, Nora Speaks challenges the listener to not only join the movement, but be the movement. On the show, you'll learn from insightful guests who have demonstrated capacity in these fields and more, and I'm your host, Nora Muhammad. Welcome to the show. I think we don't connect the child with the future. Mm-hmm. I believe we do things based off the law, like we send them to school every day. They have to go to school. However, they're so vulnerable that many people don't stop and say, wait a second, this child is going to remember this, Mm. that what I'm doing or saying to this child is going to influence who they become. We don't think about that. And that's why there are so many broken adults who can point to a time in their childhood where they became broken. Welcome back to another episode of Nora Speaks. I am happy to have Shabri Muhammad back again as this week's guest so that we can learn more about her perspective on educating the Black child. As you will hear, Shabri is more than an educator. She is an advocate for students and families. She is an educational consultant, and she is a dominant voice in the field of education. Hers is a voice to which we must continue listening and learning. So who would I say that this episode is for? This episode is for educators, school administrators, parents, guardians, coaches, counselors, or anyone else actively involved with children or who do strategic planning for youth. Shabri will enlighten all who listen to this conversation, and she will cause a stunning shift in what we think about educating the Black child. Now, if you have not listened to our first conversation, please do go back and listen to episode 26, A New Perspective on Education. Now, let's get right to it. Here is my conversation with Shabri Muhammad. Welcome to another episode of the Nora Speaks podcast. And I am grateful to be joined by this week's guest, Shabri Muhammad. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you back. I know last year when we recorded, the time went by so fast. Yes. And I said we have to have a part two and that I wanted you to be a reoccurring guest. You know, you're someone who has extensive knowledge with education, working with uh, children and families. And so I thought that it would be important that you continue to have a voice on this platform on Nora Speaks. So once again, welcome to the program, Shabri. And um, it's always great to talk with you about education. You're an educator, you're an administrator, and you're an educational consultant, and you do so much work in your community. Um, But before we get started and we start talking about education and your view of education, because you certainly have a unique perspective. I want you to answer a question for me. And that is, what would you say is your mother's favorite trait about you? Wow. Well, thank you for having me, Sister Nora. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your guests on the Nora Speaks uh, podcast. Also, um, I'm so thrilled to answer a question about my mother, because like everyone, I love my mommy, right? Uh, I think my mother admires most about me is my drive, my ambition, and just something I would like to share that she told me maybe a couple of years ago. 
She said I was a great child. She didn't have any problems out of me, except I didn't have fear. Mm. (laughs) And that was worrisome. Um, And for her, that was fear in all capacities. You know, just no respect for what could happen. And um, I think, though, that that has uh, served me well. And um, a lot of uh, opportunities that I've had in my life, I have done them where people have actually told me, I would be so scared, I would be so afraid. And, you know, I just close my eyes and <laughs> and, and, and make, make success out of it. So I, I don't fear the outcome, I just give it my all. And usually when you're giving your all in something right or something righteous, you can't lose. I love that answer, and I hope that... Uh you know, your mom listens to this episode and she smiles as she listens to that answer and she reflects back to you being a little girl that uh, had no fear. Mm -hmm. And I I would say, uh, Shabri, that fear is something that holds so many of us back in so many areas of our lives, whether it's uh, career goals, relationship goals, family goals, uh, even parenting, right? So I think the fear can be in some ways um, a confinement for so many of us, right? right? But I just want to get back, you know, so last year when we had you on the podcast, and I do encourage listeners to go back and listen to the episode with Shabri, and it was the title of the podcast was A uh, New Perspective with Education. Um, You know, I, I listened to that episode again recently, and I was just so touched with how you are able to captivate the listener in talking about education and talking about the child and the family and you, you, you know, your energy, you know, you're very energetic and people have talked about your passion and your energy. And it's not just that, but coupling that with the way you express what an educator is, um, what an educator should know, how an educator should relate to a child. Uh, Is that something that was uh, part of your training as a teacher or is that part of your nature as a person or is it a combination of both? I'm going to have to tell you, Sister Nora, I did not get into education like some teachers because they love children. Um, That's not something that I just innately felt. Uh, The job of a teacher for many people who go into education is that it's a very convenient job. So the idea of being a mother and a wife and having 10 days off for spring break and 10 days off for winter vacation and the entire summer off and, uh, you know, being able to spend plenty of time with your children was posed to me when the idea of being a teacher, um, was introduced to me by a friend. And so I thought, like most people say, oh, yeah, that that sounds pretty good. And now the income for teachers is pretty comparable compared to what it used to be. I said, okay, that's something that I can do. I believe somewhere along the line, God kind of intervened and gave me this love of children and this ability to see them outside of being children. They are human beings. They are the same human human beings that have to rule the world one day. They have to run it. They have to function. They have have to uh, run companies and agencies and services. They're the same human beings that have to um, 
help, that have to take care of the homeless, that have to serve the community. Um, most people look at them as something insignificant because they're little people, but just like they become someone else during puberty, the same thing with after they get their training and they go through experiences in life. And I believe that God gave me this eye to be able to see beyond their childhood and see the importance of depositing, intentionally depositing what they need after, um, after school, after their career of school, after going to college, after living um, their experiences, what are they going to have to give to the world? And that is up to the people who are raising them, who are educating them, who are giving them experiences, who are guiding them while they're children. Mm. So do you, would you think, or do you think that um, we don't always connect the dots that these young people or these little people, these miniature people are at some point going to be adults who have to make decisions on their behalf and on the behalf of others, companies, as you agencies, as you, as you said, do you think that we don't look that far ahead into the future? I think we don't connect the child with the future. Mm -hmm. I believe we do things based off the law. Like we send them to school every day. They have to go to school. However, they're so vulnerable that many people don't stop and say, wait a second, this child is going to remember this, mm. that what I'm doing or saying to this child is going to influence who they become. We don't think about that. And that's why there are so many broken adults who can point to a time in their childhood where they became broken. And there are other adults who can point to a time in their childhood um, and point to you those instances that made them who they are today, who made them strong, who made them resilient, people who cared enough, you know, um, the activities that their parents put them in. Um, for me, I remember, you know, all of those little clubs in school that were for the children who were a little above average, but they were just good children who did the right thing. Oh, we're going to put them in this group. There's going to be a special speaker that comes to speak to them. I really believe those speakers and those teachers in high school who took us to see something outside of the ghetto, uh, I, I believe those um, experiences play a big part in how I saw life once I graduated college or uh, once I graduated high school and knew what education would do for me. And mind you, I did get into it just for a job. I wasn't one of those kind of people who knew how to seek the knowledge because I was getting knowledge outside of the classroom. So for me, college was just about getting a better income. My education came from the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad because I was in a nation of Islam. And that's where I got my education, my my real education that would help me throughout my life. Um but those experiences helped me to see that I wanted a better life for myself. And one day when I'm a mother, I can give a better life for my children. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you found your way into education and that you had what you would call a divine intervention, if you mm -hmm. will. And, uh, you know, you really became an educator. 
Right. And so, you know, I have to say that through you, I really got to see the difference between somebody who was in a teaching profession and someone who was actually an educator. I I haven't heard education described um, by anyone the way I've heard education described by you. And especially, you know, the forward thinking and the forward looking that you do. And I, I believe that you are a wonderful advocate for parents. I believe you're a wonderful advocate for students. And I believe you're a wonderful advocate for teachers. Um, and last time we talked, I remember you saying that teachers should uh, experience or try to experience that child's vulnerability as they're learning something new, something for the first time, right? And so I was thinking to ask you today to talk about the potential vulnerability of a parent who's going to the school to get information about a child who may be struggling academically or the parent who doesn't have experience with filling out a financial aid form or applying to college and the vulnerability that they might experience and the help that they would need. And I'm asking you about this from a perspective of someone who, you know, works you know, with guidance and helping students move beyond high school into career and, and, and into college. Okay, so let me first talk about the educational piece um, that you brought up. I think that we need to reevaluate education. The idea of education is learning and applying what you've learned. We're, we're every, every culture has a different type of education, and that education really just helps you to be successful in that culture. We come down so hard on children who do not, who do not meet our standard or the standard that's placed on them, and we we you know they're called names by their parents. Teachers are looked down on them. When in reality, just think if they lived somewhere else, they wouldn't even need to know that. And they could be very successful. Just think there are professions where they don't need to know that and they could be very successful. So I think that just because a child isn't um, walking the line of the standard, that we have to realize that they are getting other types of education as well. And we need to make sure that we intentionally give them other things of interest and not just if they're, if they're a person who is never going to do well with writing or reading, let's teach them as well as we can, but not be so hard on them because there are so Stevie Wonder never read or wrote. <laughs> You mm-hmm. understand? He didn't read anything. He didn't write anything. Um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he wasn't a great reader. He wasn't a great writer. They can pick these things up later as they, you know, as um, it applies to them, but give them something else. Make sure they're a good person. Make sure they still can have a high self-esteem so that maybe there are other parts of life that they can uh, be successful at. Like, uh, I mean, what would we do without our plumbers? Right. What would we do without our mechanics? You know, and we expect we don't care how well they can read and write. We expect that they get the job done um, and, and that they're trustworthy. Right. So I think that when we crush a child's self-esteem because of some standard that may 
that is not the only way for them to be successful in life, then we don't have either one. We don't have a good citizen um, because this person has a low self-esteem and don't feel like they're worthy of anything, nor do we have this professional that we're looking to, right. you know? So I think that's very important um, to make sure children get a little bit of everything, okay? Because as they get older, they're going to have experiences and interventions that are going to blossom something that has already been laid by a seed when they were younger, you know? Um, but I've been working with a agency called Your Education Consultants and Services. And what Your Education Consultants and Services offers is that extra piece for parents who may be intimidated by the college process, by the guidance services. You know, maybe they push their child to just depend on a guidance counselor when in reality, there aren't enough guidance counselors in the high school. When this company was being set up, I spoke to a gentleman uh, at a bank and he said, wow, this is amazing because my child graduated with 500 seniors and there were only two guidance counselors. Mm. Now that means someone's not going to get to meet <laughs> the guidance counselor. Some children are not going to get their fee waivers, you know, and all those services. Um, some children aren't being tracked from ninth grade all the way up to senior in high school, making sure they have the right classes, make, make sure they have the right amount of credits. So this service works for those children uh, in this city who the city came to New Jersey, who, who need help, you know, who need help with um, that tracking uh, from ninth grade to 12th grade, who may need help um, with the FAFSA and all of those, the intimidating process of applying to college. And it also gives them the reality. You know, the reality is if you stay in state, you likely can go for free. Mm. Okay. So just um, if I could uh, ask you a quick question regarding your education consulting and services. And services. Mm -hmm. So this is something that a parent can use as a tool in preparing their child for not just academic success in high school, but beyond high school. Um, do you find that schools can be unfriendly to parents who are seeking this kinds of information in addition to um, just not having the services there? But do our parents really involved? You know, what is that dynamic like with working with this um, service? As a like, how is it different from working a student going to the guidance counselor in school? Oh, okay. Uh, there are so many other things offered because this service wants the child to see their goals or their um, plans fulfilled. So beyond before we even get to graduation. Um, your education consultants and services offers independent study. Now, summer school is independent study, okay? It is independent of the school time, but summer school isn't offered so much anymore. So what your education consultants and services does, independent study during the school year, is like in college where you can take a class, but you take the class on your own time, right? okay? You take it with a certified teacher. You get... Um, you get assignments, you get lessons, you get grades, you have 
uh, to turn all of that work in in a certain amount of time throughout the semester and you get the credits. So instead of going to summer school or getting left back, a student can do that while they are in school. Okay, because maybe they have extra time after school if they don't have a summer, uh, uh, afternoon job. Um, maybe they came from another school and don't have enough credits so that children can graduate on time, just like summer school would offer. Mm -hmm. So your education consultants and services offers that as well as the guidance. It also offers tutoring because maybe you are in the class already, but you're not doing well in it. Why take it over when you can get a tutor and do better by the end of the school year. So it offers so many wonderful things. And for a parent who may not even know what's going on, so many children suffer because their parents may not know what, what's going on. But why, why does it have to be their burden? They're in school every day. They're supposed to have guidance along the way. So regardless of a parent, if, regardless if a parent is knowledgeable about that process, this child is getting all the help that they need. And the difference is that the service is run by people who love the child. Okay, so you just answered my next question. I was going to ask you, well, there's Huntington Learning Services, um, there's Sylvan and other, you know, popular you know, chain franchises of tutoring services. So, right. you know, I was going to ask you about that difference. And so you said th these people actually love your child. How do you know? Let me tell you two things about that. One is they are from the community that your child is from. And it is not a job. Okay. Huntington, Huntington. Hunting. Yes. Okay. Let's just say that. <laughs> Huntington, I think it is. Yes. And Sylvan, they are companies. Um that people work a job for, the, the, those tutors, that is their job. This is not a job. This is to see that inner city child succeed. Okay? And that's why you said it's a service. It's a service. And it's a service built out of the love and compassion of the same people who were once these children. Okay? Um, I think that makes all the difference in the world. This is why I can say with such fortitude that you don't have to worry about your child. If you, if guess what? It's all free by the way. Mm. Okay. So maybe that is a good indication of the care and the concern for and the, the child commitment. and, and the, the commitment. commitment. Okay. This is about the love of that child and making sure that they succeed, giving them everything that they need or that they lack to succeed. So how is so how 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 can you sustain how can they you know this uh your education consulting and services how is that sustainable if it's completely free to the parents and students because one thing we do know is that Sylvan and, and other tutoring I'm not trying to pick on them but mm -hmm. others you know they're they're profit based they're right. pro they're pro profit driven so and and obviously they sustain themselves and they grow with their profits so how can we be rest assured that there's going to be sustainability with a great, um, you know, service like this. Okay. So they are for profit because they're given a service. They want to get paid for it. Your education consultant and services is a nonprofit organization and a nonprofit organization is an organization that wants to help. Mm. Okay. That's why the federal government deems them nonprofit so that they can get grants in order to help. It's not a job. It's not a um, 
it's not a come up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand? Mm-hmm. It's not a business. Uh, it is a free service for children who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. And we know mm-hmm. that that makes things a lot unfair because they have the same need as other children, except they don't have the income. Right. But they still have that need. So your education consultants and services is dedicated to making sure they get a level playing field at least as far as guidance services is concerned. Well, I think that is exceptional and it's exciting, you know, that as you talked about leveling that playing field, you know, I can recall, you know, people that I've worked with, you know, uh, who had means, significant Mm -hmm. means, who were able to get their children the extra help um, or the diagnosis in some cases um, for them to get the extra help, uh, you know, so that they can be supported academically and, I'm grateful the way that this program is operating and the service that it's providing because it's so necessary. And, you know, just kind of jumping back and talking about education generally, you know, education regarding black children specifically is is a unique and delicate process because so much of the education excludes themselves. Right. And when you are educating someone and you're not including themselves, their history, um, their reflection in it, then it's hard for them to find general interest because they don't see themselves in it. Right. That's right. Um, I remember uh, attending a conference, uh, a panel discussion rather hosted by Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman. And I was at the conversation turned towards education and I talked talked about or I asked a question about the education in New Jersey not being reflective of black children. So they're growing up with, you know, just that deficit, right? There other children are seeing Thomas Jefferson or Christopher Columbus, you know, and others as their heroes. And we don't see that. And she explained to me that there's an Amistad, um, uh, there was a law passed, the Amistad law, where black history is supposed to be integrated into the curriculum, but it seems to be integrated when there is time Mm. allowed or allotted. And that seems to be an arbitrary designation of when time is allotted for that. So when we have black children being educated, but not seeing anything that interests them inherently, then already they're starting out at a deficit. Or what would you say about that? Right. I think that's very true. And I think it's very unfair Um, that we don't see them as uh, a culture or a nation of people. And it's important for every nation of people to understand their history. And when we learn about these prominent men in history, um, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, we learn our place with these great and wonderful men. And our place was not a good place. Mm. So when we learned about George Washington, we either lose our self in it, in, in the history of George Washington, or we're slaves. He's the forefather. And you say, hmm, he's my forefather? He doesn't look anything like me. Okay. Oh, okay. Then he owned hundreds of slaves. So you either don't learn that part or you do, but either way, 
it, you're negative in his history. And he's this great, prominent, and wonderful man. And everywhere you turn, turn there's a George Washington Elementary School you go to. There's George Washington Township that you live in. There's always something Washington. So we are inundated with their history. And there is so little emphasis placed on our great history, if the educator is even knowledgeable of it. So in their lack of knowledge of it, we can't just leave it up to those things given to us in Black History Month because that still shows us our success as a subordinate. Mm. And I believe that we need to make sure that Black children are educated with a where they are superior in their own history. Mm. So we have to find where they are superior in their own history and teach them that. If we have a lack of that type of information and it's too hard to find, then teach them the greatness of themselves now. Teach them how dominant they are over all of the people of the earth because of their natural traits. Teach them of the melanin in their skin. Teach them of the successes that they have over those who are given an equal playing field and how they come out on top all the time and in all areas of life, science, mathematics, history. Teach them of the contributions that we have given to the world, not something that we have um, where we were allowed to be the first black one to ever do such and such. Allowed means that someone said, okay, well... I'll take you, I'll take you, and something that has already been established. No, teach them that the reason that they have formulas in mathematics is because they had to teach themselves how to remember the mathematics that we were already doing. Mm. You know? So I, there's a young lady that I know who is uh, studying culinary arts, and as part of her studies, you know, she has to learn about French cooks. You know, mm -hmm. she's like, what does that have to do with cooking. I just want to learn how to cook this particular dish or how to, um, you know, learn the chemistry in cooking. But part of her education includes the culture of cooking. I remember when I took um, Spanish class I, or, you know, the Spanish language, I thought I was going to learn the language. Well, with the language, I learned the history of Spain. I learned that there's dialects and I learned about the geography. So we just don't learn black history, you know, in February, like you said, they may not have, the teacher may not have a mastery or handle of it. Um, but when the student is studying themselves, it has to be a comprehensive history. It has to be a comprehensive education. But also to your point, it's not just black students who aren't learning black history and the history and the and the areas and times when black people were dominant and are dominant, but other students, right? Other races of students in the classroom also aren't learning. So the history is imbalanced for all of the children who are learning in the classroom. That's correct. In the hallway of Muhammad University of Islam, number 20, there's a poster up and it says, teach all the children our history. And the purpose of that is very important. As you said, the student that you're speaking of, they're learning of other cultures in the culinary culture, right. um, even though she's not of that culture. But it's important to them to go back 
and make sure that you understand the people, the place where these where certain activities or certain creations or certain concepts came from. Well, if we don't teach other people who we have to engage every single day in society with, if we don't teach them our culture, then they have no understanding of who we are, where we're coming from, why we do things that we do, how they should handle us when they're in authority over us, um, or why we may be given certain rights, why those rights shouldn't be taken away from us. So just imagine a person who comes up under affirmative action under the law of affirmative action, but they don't know any kind of history of oppression of people who affirmative action is for. They don't know who they don't know why minorities should be given any specific um, advances because they don't know of any time where these people were withheld anything. Mm-hmm. That would be completely unfair because you know and I know that they are the majority in this country. And in this country, they have a history of racism, prejudices, holding um, minorities back, um, just not being fair, okay? And so laws had to be passed to kind of balance out some fairness, to kind of force them to be fair because they weren't being fair on their own. And during all of this time where they weren't being fair, the majority was advancing while they were holding back the minority. Those people could have done great and wonderful things, but they were being held back. They were given poor education. They were given poor um, housing. They were given poor nutrition, that their community was purposely designed so that they would not achieve on an equal playing field what everyone else had. So a, so laws had to be made to give them a tr- uh, just a, just to allow them an advance from their current situation to try and do better. Not an equal one, but let's just help them a little teeny tiny bit. Let's mm-hmm. give them some crumbs and maybe they can slip through the cracks and become successful. That's important to learn because those people would look at us as equals and say, well, even though I have a 400 year head start, why can't you do the same thing that I'm doing? I think that you really kind of summarized that history really well. And, you know, it's 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 not taught that way in our schools. And 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 I was just thinking earlier today how if I uh, was a young Caucasian and did not know that history, I would be very resentful too, mm-hmm. because I would feel as if something was being held from me right. unfairly, right. you know? Um, and so that history that you gave us shows why there needs to be some sort of equalizer. Right? Yes. Do you, do you remember when we were children and a person who was older, stronger, faster would say, I'll give you a head start because they knew Mm-hmm. that they had the strength, the power, the endurance to still win over someone who did not have, who was not equal to them in strength, power, endurance, and ability. I'll give you a head start because they knew they would still be prosperous. Right. So, you know, I want to back up a little bit. You had mentioned Muhammad University of Islam 20, and that's something we didn't talk about last time, I don't recall. Now, this is a private school that you 
direct and administrate. And I think the model at um, at this institution is unique. Um, I think that it should be duplicated across the country. Um, it appears that, you know, it's producing, you know, uh, students who are not in any way um, lacking, you know, in educational attainment. So let's share with the audience the history of um, Muhammad University of Islam, your involvement, and I guess um, what the intended outcome is with this alternative education model. Okay. Well, Muhammad University of Islam, number 20. Number 20 means that it's in Camden, New Jersey. And the I'm the director of Muhammad University of Islam, number 20 in Camden. And it's a school system that was starting, began in the 30s by um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the um, and W.D. Muhammad, who gave him the instruction to start the school for black children. Um, there were over 40 schools um, opened before 1974, I believe, or 1975, and those schools were in inner cities and they were geared to teaching black children, sciences, mathematics, the sciences of the world. And uh, they were, they promoted health. They were Muslim children. Um, and it was a school that was created just for them because they would not get what they needed in the public school. Much like today, our students in the inner city schools do not get everything that they're needed everything that they need to be successful for themselves and their own nation and their own kind in this society. So do they get, are they getting what they need then in the suburban schools to be successful? Black children? Yes. No. <laughs> there is a great um, emphasis on entrepreneurship and doing for your own self and kind. That is not something you can get in a suburban school unless it is someone else's kind. But black children cannot get that in a community that is uh, created for the success of someone else. Like all communities, all communities should look for the outcome of their own kind to be successful in that community and be able to broaden themselves beyond that community and um, and be successful for their nation. Help build up the nation because there are other ones coming behind you and it has to continue on. Muhammad University of Islam is intentional in its education of teaching the children everything they need to survive in this world, everything they need to be successful anywhere in this world not just on a job, not just in one community, anywhere in this world. So uh, there, so the emphasis is on the sciences, the emphasis is on reading, writing, it is on their history, it is on the knowledge of themselves, it is on citizenship, it is on being good, wholesome people no matter where you go. And that type of thing really is universal is just that black people in America have always been inclined to help push the American dream and have no dream of their individual selves, no dream of their individual nation, of their own kind. So Muhammad University helps us to see that we are people who need to uh, support and 
help and grow our own nation because if we don't, no one else will. We say that during Black History Month, oh, we need to do for ourselves. We need to do for ourselves. However, the reality of it is we've never been taught to. Where are we supposed to go to learn to do for ourselves? If we constantly go to the education of someone else, go for a job that that prepared us for and give it right back to those same people and we never keep any income flowing in our own communities. We never teach our children or adults anything about service to our own community. In fact, we want to leave our own community for someone else's that we think is better. So our children, so the students of Muhammad University of Islam have a very, I like the way you called it alternative, because they have a very unique education in knowing that they are learning all of those core um, sub, all of the core subject matter in this country, like I said, um, education is cultural. So they're learning science, mathematics, history. They're learning all of those great, wonderful things, um, reading, writing. However, they're also learning community. They're also doing outreach. They're learning how to help their fellow man. They're learning who their fellow man is and what he looks like. They're learning to give back to their own kind. They're learning that they are going to have a nation that they have to build up. They have to be intentional in building it up and intentional in bringing up the next generation so that they can continue and keep it going. They're learning economic wealth. They're learning to keep their money in their community, how important that is to grow the community, that once it leaves, it's gone forever. So you have to service it and sell your goods and services to your own community, and you have to support those services. You have to support those goods and everything that uh, with your financial backing. It is so much that these young people are getting out of such a small school system. Um, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Uh, Muhammad University of Islam number 20 in Camden has been reopened since 2011. All of the children have actually, all of the graduates have actually gone to college. However, that is not our main focus. We want to prepare them for college, but we also want to prepare them for any other goals or um, or trades or anything that they would like to see in their future. Okay, so I was going to ask you, what is the desired outcome, right? But you talked about um, economic self-sufficiency, economic uh, support of one another. Um, you talked about um, you know, being rooted in who their fellow man is and, and what community looks like. So are you seeing that if that's the outcome, are you seeing that outcome with the students that the school is graduating and, and or, or in the students that are currently enrolled? Because we have only been graduating students since 2016, we've been open since 2011 and our first high school students began in 2012. So we just started graduating seniors. Our, our um, oldest student came in as an eighth grader and he graduated um, in 2016. So currently I can say they are on the right path because we also give them, we give them programs and businesses for them to be able to come back to. So the adults have to have an investment as well. We can't just teach the children 
to come back to, to or to give back to their community. But when it comes to their community, there's nothing to give back to. Mm. So there are many businesses that the students work in. Um, there is something for them to be responsible for. However, our students are still very, our graduates are still very young and in college. However, I have not seen one yet who has not come back and um, uh, showed their, showed what they've learned as far as a love, respect, dedication towards the community that they came up in. The desired outcome is that they are prepared for their own livelihood. They're sufficient in that way. That in Islam, I don't know if many people know this, the males are, we're all taught that the man is the maintainer. So the men have to be prepared for the livelihood of their themselves and their families. At the same time, though, we believe that women should be educated and also sufficient in supporting the family. Um, we promote education. So, so the women are given the same education um, or the same the same motivation and drive to go get further education as the brothers do. However, in Islam, though, a woman's earnings are her own. So it's not that we don't want her to have earnings. She also is to go out and have earnings, but her earnings are her own to decide what she'll do with them. Um, so both parties have to be educated. Both parties have to be um, aggressive in building up the nation and giving back to it. Our graduates are just so young now that we've seen them begin as very young children in the nation of Islam. And they've been following, you know, they they haven't turned away from what we've taught them. And we have them in programs and they get to uh, participate in activities with children who are not like them or who don't have the same back ground as them and they come back and they tell us the differences that they see so we know that the program is working uh, and we just have to keep our budding community going so that the children after they are adults they can come back and say oh well I'm going to support this business I'm going to I have a job mm -hmm. that I can work for my own nation if I need to I joked with our first senior. I said, you have about seven years to come retire me. <laughs> so he knows he can come back and teach, you know. So so we have a community for them to come to and for them to support. Um, we'll see how they work out once they graduate college. It's still early. So, you know, just talking about you, what, it, what has it been like to, in this inception of the university, Muhammad University of Islam 20, um, you said you it opened again in two thousand. Eight, eleven, eleven. What has that been like? I mean, it's a heavy responsibility to be an administrator of a school, something that's alternative, something that probably has a lot of magnifiers on. People are scrutinizing it, um, and um, and you're kind of leading the charge. So, you know, and then you have your your faculty. You know, everybody's looking to you for guidance. So, what what has that been like for you? You know, you you have been an educator in the public schools, obviously, and you've, you're working through the consulting company. You've done online teaching. You shared with the, us with that last time you were on the podcast. But we didn't talk about your role so much as an administrator and the 
pressures and a responsibility that comes with that? Okay, that's a great question, Sister Nora. Let me also say that even though our new students in this inception of Muhammad University, I say that because there was a Muhammad University on Broadway in Camden, New Jersey prior to 1975. And one thing I want to say is even though our children have be just begun to go into college um, and get their education. And like I said, we don't know if they're going to come back. Muhammad University, not we don't know if they're going to come back, but we don't know how they're going to contribute once they graduate college. They're students still. Um, one thing about Muhammad University, it is not just the school. It is that education that you are given that will open your eyes to see the world. Um, I'm one of those children who got that education while I was in the university, mm -hmm. while I was in Rutgers University, um, to be exact. I was in the Nation of Islam getting a Muhammad University of Islam education. And I am one of those students who came back. Once there was a Nation of Islam in a community to be able to give back to, I was able to give back. And so I left the public school system and came to give back to my own. So actually, we have seen the evidence of the return on our investment. That was invested in me. And there are many people who came into the temple when I came in or who were still there as adults, as 18-year-olds, as freshmen in college, who also returned their investment in that education that they got from the University of Islam, and now they work for the temple, they work for businesses, um, they work for Muhammad University of Islam doing different outreach programs, educating the children. So I have to say that we have seen where the model is successful. We have seen what the outcome will be. Once you put this education into the young people and they have um, a place for uh, uh, we have a place for them to give back to and support that they have come back and they have supported. Now, in coming back as an educator and as a director of University of Islam, I've also um, been given the responsibility of being the director of our daycare center. And as an administrator, I get the all, administrator of teachers, I get the awesome responsibility of being in leadership and showing black women and black men that they count, that they matter, mm -hmm. that outside, I may not be able to control their atmosphere at home, but once you reach work, this is a peaceful atmosphere. You know, the, as an administrator, I have the responsibility and it's an awesome task to set the tone in the daycare center which is a business and in Muhammad University of Islam which is a school system I have the awesome responsibility of being able to set the tone for the staff and for the children my staff um they know they have to go by my uh my they have to take my love of the children, they have to take my responsibility to the children and transfer that to them. Mm -hmm. I can't transfer it to all the children. I can transfer it to the staff and the staff can transfer it to the children. And that love is that 
every one of them individually is cared about, that when their parents walk in, their parents should feel good that their children are being left in our care, that they should feel that they had a nutritious meal, that if there was anything out of sorts with their child and their personality and just their um, general well-being for the day, that the parent is notified about it, that their child is being kept in a clean atmosphere, that we're doing everything that we can to um, abate anything with state requirements, um, keeping up to code, that their teacher is not that the teacher don't have favorites, that they're all the favorite. Mm. You understand? They're all the teacher's pets. They're all concerned about. And that the teacher cannot come and just collect a paycheck or think that they're, uh, think that their children um, are not to be engaged or think that it's just a job. I don't, I don't keep staff like that who think that it's just a job. And it may be my, um, it may be my um, example that I'm given to help the staff along, but I, but these are the actual <coughs> words in the training that I tell them, okay? And I try to allow them to put themselves in that child's shoes. For example, in the daycare, learning should be fun as a young child because we have, this is the beginning. Right. We have to get them excited about coming to school. They should want to come. They should never rather be home or rather be with mom or cry because mom is leaving because they're about to go. They're about to have some experiences that are fun and exciting. And believe it or not, children feel so good when they are learning new things. And this is at every age. So, so if I could just jump in, it's something you're in your, your excitement is just resonating with me and I'm sure it's resonating with listeners. Um, so you're not just someone who's working through your role as an administrator, kind of as, as an overseer, but you're also kind of uh, transferring who and what you are and your concept of education to and through your staff. Right. So you're 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 I'm thinking a teacher's teacher. You know, mm -hmm. you're training as you go. You're not just an administrator that's pushing papers and pens and, you know, dealing with paper clips and, you know, copies and things in the office. But you're also um, transferring all that you believe that education should be for the child. You're also giving that to the staff. So tell me, how do they receive that from you? You know what? Um, usually I know because when they thank me for something that I've done or when they see that I've looked out for them. And sometimes when you help people or you give them something, they may not always see it right then. But I let them know that I'm going to give you this opportunity because I want to make leaders. Mm -hmm. I tell them all the time, I read that a good leader makes leaders. So I want you to have all your paperwork together so you could walk off this job if you wanted to. If you wanted to, you'd be able to walk off this job and go on to the next one. That you'd be able to go somewhere and earn a better living than you can make at this job. That if something were to happen to this business, you'd already be set. That you can go to your child's school and be able to advocate for them because of the things that you've learned in this staff meeting. Um, so I purposely teach them things that I've learned along the way to help them advocate better for their own individual children, you know, at home, their biological children, because we know that 
you know, we're all, we all always have one child, if not all of them, but we always usually have one child who maybe struggle in school because of behavior or because they just not fit in that model um, of the rest of the class. And even the public school, they try and deal with things by having differential instruction. However, there are some children that the teacher is not even trying to meet uh, meet the needs of that child because it's just too much work and everyone else is compliant, but your child having a hard time. I have one teacher who she was asked. Now I need her to work, but she's being asked by her child's school to pick your child up. And it's not even nine o'clock yet. Pick your child up or he's going to be suspended from school, from school. And I don't believe school was in session a week. She wind up transferring him and he's very excited about having a new atmosphere and he's doing well now. However, I have to pull those staff members aside and give them what they need to go out and fight in that world because they all can't bring their child to Muhammad University of Islam number 20 because they don't understand what that school is all about. If they did, they'd probably run. Mm, okay. Right. Um, but what are you doing for my child? What are you, what did you try different today? It's not nine o'clock yet. What did he do? Right. You know, so, uh, so there are so many questions that a parent can ask and there are so many things that a parent can do as far as being involved in a school to help their child succeed. And they don't know what to expect from the teacher. Most of most parents, especially in the inner city or an uneducated parent, they don't know what to say to the white teacher to make sure that their child is being tended to and being given all that the teacher can give to make sure that child is successful in the classroom. You don't need an IEP for that. Mm. But some teachers will say, oh, well, if you don't classify them, we're just going to keep suspending them. We're going to keep leaving them back because they can't do the work. But there may be a reason they can't do the work. You know, there just one thing in my experience I've learned is children with so-called ADHD get good grades hmm. because they're listening to everything that the teacher is saying and they can, you know, put it down on paper. They can recite it back to them, but they're not sitting still. And because there's no classification for ADHD, they just put down LD and that's, oh, this child has a learning disability. And they don't have a learning disability or else they wouldn't get all A's with no modification. Now, that that system actually sounds somewhat abusive <laughs> and exploitative for parents who don't know, who don't know those extra questions to ask, who don't know that they can appeal a teacher's decision or recommendation to the principal or to, you know, the guidance office. And so this is why I appreciate you and the role that you uh, operate in because this is the advocacy that our community needs. Um, Every, you know, every child can't fit into the same standard box, right? Can't fit into the same standard frame. And so um, parents who don't understand this, who have had some kind of interaction with you, or if they shared some of their challenges with you, or your staff now that you've empowered them with this information, then now they can go and have a second or third conversation. Now they can, they're better equipped to advocate for their own children, you know, and this is, this is one of the beauties 
that we have in you is that you are so dedicated and you give this, you know, you know, if parents are listening, you know, just think about the educators or the teachers that you've come in contact with and beyond, you know, what your child has put on paper, the, the teacher really has no interest in you or your child beyond what your child put on paper that the teacher was responsible for grading right. and then giving you an assessment of your child. And here you have, um, you know, Shabri, who's talking about the holistic approach to educating a child, understanding that not all children learn the same way. Not all children are going to respond the same way. Um, and, and, and arming us with information and with tools that we can equip ourselves to go and, and advocate. And, and I'm just grateful and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so appreciative to you and to those who work, you know, under your leadership, you know, and, and the children who have been in your classroom, the children who you are guiding, the children that you are impacting and the families with the um, consulting services, you know, th this is going to create, you know, a ripple, you know, because it's going to go beyond you. And, and, you know, I, I really can't thank you enough for what you are doing in the service that you're giving to our community. You know, Nora Speaks podcast, the goal is to tug at the soul and consciousness of the black community. And it's conversations like this with people like you that makes this platform so meaningful. And so I'm just grateful. Um, you know, I don't mean to sit here and gush all over you, but I'm just so grateful that we thank have you. you in the trenches, you know, advocating and battling for our people in so many different capacities that you just explained that you operate in, you know, and, and I just want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and I, I just want to say all praises are due to God, Allah, uh, for just giving me this passion because I, I can't tell you where it came from. I can't tell you where it came from or why. It's just, it, it just is. And I know that uh, it is a gift and I just want to make sure that I pass it on to as many people as I can. Um, and I, I just want to say one more thing about education. You know, it would be great if everyone could understand the value of X. <laughs> okay? That would be great. It's mathematical. It's scientific. It's great. It's a wonderful thing to know. But how do we look in the eyes of God? Is he is he thinking about that when he's looking at us? When 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 we're making choices in our lives that have consequences, does that even matter? We need to prepare an education for our children for how what kind of people they're going to be in their community, what kind of lives they're going to lead when it's all said and done. You know, there are some um figurative stories that are told in Christianity, in the Bible, but they have real concepts. So in Christianity, they say they, you know, they pull out some type of scroll or something and look over your entire life to see if you lived a good enough life to be able to go ascend to heaven or you lived a life that was not so good and you went somewhere that was, um, that was a horrible eternity. Well, when we look at that, is knowing the value of X going to be important? No, it was how you treated your fellow man. It, it was, did you take care of your family? Um, 
we have to raise these children to be able to help the elderly because we're going to be the elderly and we're going to need that help. We need to raise our children to have a future that they're proud of, to be able to do something in their life that was worth it all. You know, sometimes I look at people who spent a lifetime of giving something great and wonderful to the world and they use their entire life to just do it. I mean, look at the magnificence of Michael Jackson's life. He didn't waste it. He didn't waste it. Would he need to know the value of X? That would be great to know. But what difference does it make when you've given your life to good, to, when you've given your life to offer something to the world? And I know that surface level, but I just mean a work ethic that, um, you know, that you brought joy to people, that you were a good person. I think we have to occupy our children's time to make sure that they grow up with an endurance for giving back, an endurance for doing good, um, that they have the capacity to be able to help their fellow man, to help their own people and their own kind, um, and a fortitude to continue to do that and to teach the generation coming up behind them and to show them by example to do the same. That's what education is. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Shabri. I'm glad that you know, we had you again. And as always, the time went by so fast and there's still so much that we have not covered that I hope that I can have you back again yes. to cover and also to, you know, give us updates. Um, you know, the, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about and maybe we'll get to it next time is the how the climate in this country impacts what's happening in the classroom, mm. you know, and maybe we can have that conversation really soon. I think that's 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 necessary because for parents who are listening to this, for educators who are listening to this, there are some things that as a parent you might not know. And as a teacher, you didn't get in your training, but you can get it from you. So let me ask you, how can parents contact you? They may be listening to this or an, an aunt who has a nephew or a niece who could be struggling in school, struggling with the teacher, struggling with the school district. How are you able to support them? Well, because I work with your education consultants and services, I can be reached at shabri at yecservices.com. That's C-H-A-B-R-E-E at yecservices.com. Wonderful. So um, parents and, and, and school officials, and I mean, really, you need to be in a classroom teaching and training educators administrators. I, I see that for you. And I think that districts and uh, and educational professionals would be well served by sitting in, in a classroom, learning from you and learning how education is greater than just the academics, as mm -hmm. you just described. Yes. And our um, listeners can also go to the website, yecservices.com. And if they leave um questions or comments there, they'll be able to reach me. Okay. Let me ask you another question. So if parents have listened to this and they're interested in Muhammad University of Islam, um, they're interested in, in a tour or enrolling their child or maybe just learning more because, you know, they're not Muslim. Do you accept Muslim students like Catholic schools accept 
Baptist students, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they may have questions. Yes. So um, how can uh, listeners reach out to you to learn more about Muhammad University of Islam 20? Well, my office is based at MEL Child Care Center, so they can call the phone number there where um, they can leave a message with the secretary or a voicemail, which is 856-966-1722. They can leave a voicemail 24 hours. And also uh, email for me is shabrimohammed at ymail.com, C-H-A-B-R-E-E-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at ymail.com. Thank you so much. I mean, there's I, I always feel like we just scratched the surface, mm-hmm. you know, in talking with you. But if you'll agree now, I can get your commitment because word is bond. Absolutely. I can get you now to come back and we can continue this conversation. And maybe, you know, listeners, if you have questions and you're interested in learning more about uh, YEC services or learning more about the University of Islam and uh, you would like me to submit these questions for our next conversation with Shabri Muhammad, you can email me at Nora at NoraSpeaks.com. That's Nora at NoraSpeaks.com. And please do check the show notes for all of the contact information that Shabri and I have shared. And uh, Shabri, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. I can't wait till next time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Nora Speaks podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming at you fresh next week. And as always, if you want to learn more about me and the work that I do, visit my website, noramohammed.com. Or if you have a listener question, email me at info at norispeaks.com. You can also follow the Nora Speaks podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nora Speaks Podcast. I'll be sure to include links in the show notes. If this show has value to you, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with family and friends. And be sure to check out previous episodes. And remember, don't just join the movement, be the movement. Stay in peace.